Ezra chapter 8. We're going to kind of go through this chapter, and then I've got a video that I want to show you. Some of you might remember the video of this event that I'm going to show. I made a video about it. It was, it was a few years back. I think this was actually in 2018 uh, when all this went down. And, uh, but I wanted to uh, cover this again because it's applicable to what we're going to see here in Ezra 8. And this video illustrates uh, and it's going to give you a very good picture of something that I want to try to show you from this chapter, something that we take for granted as Christians. And so um, as we go through this chapter uh, and explain everything, I'm going to show you this video. And I think you'll have a real good overall visual of what's going on. Because remember last week when we were in Ezra chapter 7, we're finally introduced to Ezra. We're, we don't even see him mentioned until chapter 7. And he is a uh, he is a scribe, and he, him and a group of others they are coming to Jerusalem, and their job is to basically remind everybody what the law is because they've not been practicing these things for over seventy years. More than a generation has gone where they have not practiced these things. So obviously they would not be familiar with the practices. They would not know how to do these things. Uh, you know the Things of the Levitical priests, they would have been passed on from generation to generation. They would have grown up doing these things. They would have been taught from a young child, hey, this is what you do. Watch Daddy how he does these things. But this, this new group of priests that's coming along, they've never seen these things take place. So they've got to go back to the Scriptures because these things are important. God had laid out in great detail how these things were supposed to be done. And so it's Ezra's job to basically lay the law down and let them know, literally lay down the law and to tell them this is how these things are going to be done because most of these things had probably been forgotten. So these people we're about to read, we're about to kind of go through some genealogies and these people are probably Levites and their genealogies were important. And it was, it was amazing that they had preserved these things after 70 years of captivity, but they did. It was an amazing thing. It was a miraculous thing. And it would be, and, uh, and this, it's a reminder too, that if it was a big deal that they preserved these things after 70 years, then it should be, uh, we should not expect that the Jews would be able to preserve these things after 1900 years. And they haven't. Okay. I, I would just listen this morning to a group of preachers talking about what an amazing thing it is, how they've survived as an ethnic people and as an ethnic group. And they've, you know, they're able, you know, you know, God promised to preserve their lineage and all this stuff. And it's just like, with no proof. But they're saying there was proof because everybody just says it. Everybody says it like everybody says Dylan Mulvaney's a girl. But the truth is they can't preserve it. And it's considered anti-Semitic to say that. But you know what? I, I have to preach the truth. Okay? They, can't, they cannot prove these things. And so um, while it appears, too, that these people are all Levites, it doesn't seem they were parts of the family's who did the priestly work, this group we're about to read. We know Ezra was a Levite, but he was a scribe. And so I'm, and I don't know this. I don't know if all the scribes were Levites, if that was part, if they probably were, but I, I don't know that for sure. I'm not confirmed that, but let's go ahead and read this. Uh, start reading some of this. It's a lot of names, but verse one. Now these are the chief of their fathers. And this is the genealogy of them that went up with me from Babylon in the reign of Artaxerxes the king. And you know what? I know it's hard reading genealogies, but let's never under, uh, you know, underestimate the importance of these things. 
They were there for a reason. Because when God makes a promise, and God makes a promise in a, in a line, God proves that promise. And, and understand that if, now they're wrong, but if the dispensationists are right, that God was going to preserve a race of people, and God's going to go back to dealing with this race of people, then God also would have to prove their genealogy. And that can't be done. You know why? Because God doesn't need to. They need to get a hold of this. So let's, let's not just skip over these things. They were there for a reason, and, and we need to remember that. We need to throw it in the face of the dispensationalists because they are the ones who act like, that's well, no big deal. No, these are there for a reason. A lot of the scriptures just name reading. That's tough. But the, it's where God proves his, that he kept his promise. So the sons of Phineas, uh, Gershom, the son of Ithamar, Daniel, the son of David, Hattish, of the sons of Shechaniah, the sons of Parosh, Zechariah, and with them were reckoned by genealogy of the males in 150. And of the sons of Pehath Moab, Eliohanai, the son of Zerahiah, and with him 200 males. And understand too, while the book of Ezra is only giving kind of specific details and numbers, these people that were reckoned by their genealogy just understand somewhere they had another book that would have had all those details too that they would have had to prove all these things. And again, they don't have these things anymore. And even what the Jews will tell you, most of this stuff was destroyed with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And again, why did God, why did God destroy the temple? Because he was done with it. That's why if he had plans to go back to it, he would have preserved these things, but he did not preserve those things. So, and also the sons of Aden, Ebed, the son of Jonathan, with him 50 males, of the sons of Elam, Jeshahiah, the son of Athaliah, and with him seventy males. The sons of Shephatiah, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and with him fourscore males. Of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jehiel, with him two hundred eighteen males. The sons of Shelemith, the son of Josephiah, with him one hundred and three score males. The sons of Bibai, Zechariah, the son of Bibai, and with him twenty and eight males. And of the sons of Azgad, Jehanan, the son of Hakatan, and with him one hundred and ten males. And the last of the sons of Adonikam whose names are these, Alephalet, Jael, Shemaiah, and with them three score males, of the sons of Bigvi, Uthai, and Zabad, and with him seventy males. And so, this is a great number of people, and the Jews did. And, and I think this shows too, that you know the faith that they had, the dedication that they had to the Word of God, they understood the importance of genealogies during that time. Because God commanded certain things like the priesthood be in their line. God had made prophecies concerning different tribes. Like even when you go to the tribe of, uh, or with Jacob and when he blessed his sons, specifically with the tribe of Judah, these things were important. And so Israel, the Jews, the ones to whom were committed the oracles of God, they took painstaking efforts to preserve all of these things. And they did. God used them to preserve all of these details that were important. Now, let me ask you, who has God used to preserve the details that prove God has kept His promise to preserve a race of people that He's not done with yet? Uh, no one. You know why? Because God didn't promise that. Okay? God fulfilled those promises when we get to Jesus Christ. Those things are all fulfilled through Jesus Christ. If we, so if we want to prove somebody has claim to some kind of promise, you know what we do? We don't ask them, hey, show me your genealogies. You know what we do? 
Where do you profess, what do you profess faith in? They profess faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in the sacrifice of Jesus, the works of Jesus. If that's what they're professing, you're a part of the covenant. And you know what we do as, as a church? Because the Jews don't have the oracles of God. God. God gave these things to the church. And you know what we do with those people when we find out they're in the covenant? We baptize them. And we, we bring them into the fellowship of the local church. So again, this mystical, mythical you know, group of people that are somewhere out there in the world that God is going to do something with in the future is a fantasy. It is, from, it is a fantasy from Judaizers. Because let me tell you something, if any of these Jews actually love the Word of God and the law of God, they would look at themselves and say, something went very wrong somewhere. First off, None of the prophecies came to pass like was said it was going to because timelines were given for when the Messiah would come. We have that in Daniel 9. And it, and it came. We don't have the genealogies you know, preserved. We, we have none of those things. You know, so you would think they would admit that our belief system failed. And it did. You know, if, if they're right. If they're right in what they're teaching, their belief system failed. But the reality is their belief system did not fail because their belief system was fulfilled through the work of Jesus Christ. But they reject Christ. And understand, an honest Jew has to admit there's only two potential options. Either our belief system failed and is null and void, or it was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Those are the only two options. Okay? And it was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So verse 15 says, And I gathered them together to the river that runneth to Ahava, and there abode we in tents three days and viewed the people and, and the priests and found there none of the sons of Levi. Then sent I for Eliezer, for Ariel, for Shemaiah, for Elnathan, for Jerob, for Elnathan, for Nathan, for Zechariah, for Meshulam, chief men, also for Jehoiarib and for Elnathan, men of understanding. And I sent them with commandment unto Ido the chief at the place Casaphia. And I told them what they should say unto Ido and to his brethren, the Nethanims, at, at, at the place Casaphia, that they should bring us ministers for the house of our God. And by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding of the sons of Malai, of the sons of Levi, the sons of Israel, and Sherebiah with his sons and his brethren, 18. And Hashabiah, and with them Jeshiah, the sons of Merari, his brethren and their sons, 20. Also the Nethanims, whom David and the princes had appointed for the service of the Levites, 220 Nethanims, all of them were expressed by name. Now, what we're seeing right here, this is showing as we're getting all the workers together for the things of the house of the Lord. And thank God, there were some men during that time who even though they had no temple and they had not done these things in over 70 years, they understood who they were. They understood that they were supposed to be by birthright being the priest doing the work of the Lord. And it's good that they remembered who they were. And they didn't just give it up. It's like, yeah, you know, we're gone. It's, we don't have a temple anymore. Let's just go do our own thing. No, they understood who they were. They remembered who they were. And that, that was a, a very good thing. And so a lot of these details were seen. It might seem kind of pointless, but understand the job of the Levites, it was a huge job. There were thousands of Levites. Thousands of them. It was an entire tribe that had been doing the Lord's work. And for 70 years, that work has not been being done. And so getting these 
people reorganized was a big task. Because understand too, they had to be surviving as a people. I, I, I might not be till Nehemiah or, or somewhere in the uh, somewhere in the Bible. There's a place where a lot of the Levites, because the people weren't paying their tithes and stuff, they had to start working the fields because they had to survive as a people. And God rebuked Israel for this. They were supposed to be taking care of them so they could do the work of the Lord on behalf of all the tribes. It was the res- and so it was the responsibility of all the tribes not to neglect the tithes and offerings because them neglecting the tithes and the offerings would make it so the Levites couldn't do what they were supposed to do. And God was upset about this. So these Levites, who knows what they've been doing, but without a doubt, they had survived as a people. They had a way of life. They had something they were doing. But it's time for them to forsake all of those things and to get back to doing their work. And so this isn't just a big deal for the Levites, but also the other Jews. That, hey, you know what? You got to go back to giving these tithes and offerings that you were supposed to be doing. Because the Levites, it's time for them to go back to work and so we got to make sure we take care of them. It was commanded for them to not forget the Levites. They were supposed to take care of them as a people. So this is, this is a huge deal. This is no small task with Ezra and his men in recruiting the thousands of Levites and getting them back to doing these practices that, you know, had, that they had never done before. And so it says, then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Hava, that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. But his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So we fasted and besought the Lord our God for this, and he was entreated of us. And these were very challenging times because it was hard enough to get all these things going again. But, you know, there was also people that tried to oppose them. However, they were very blessed to have the king on their side who was ready to protect them and who had decreed, I think it was last week, that basically anyone that messes with the Jews in trying to rebuild their temple, their house is going to be made a dunghill. So this was this was a very good thing. And, you know, uh, Ezra didn't want to use the king, but it was it was a necessity. It was a necessity because they had opposition. But thank, thankfully, uh, the king was there for him. So it says, then I separated twelve of the chief priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their brethren with them, and weighed unto them the silver and the gold and the vessels, even the offering of the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his lord and all Israel their pre, uh, their present had offered. I even weighed unto them their hands 650 talents of silver and silver vessels, 100 talents and of gold, 100 talents. Also 20 basins of gold of a thousand drams and two vessels of fine copper, precious as gold. And I said unto them, ye are holy unto the Lord. The vessels also are, are holy also. And the silver and the gold are a freewill offering unto the Lord God of your fathers. Watch ye and keep them until ye weigh them before the chief of the priests and the Levites and chief of the fathers of Israel at Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So took the priests and the Levites the way to the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem unto the house of our God. Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go unto Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and of such as lay in wait by the way. So this here is it's a really big deal. They are 
when he makes the priest holy again. Because now, he's reminding these priests, there is a way you are supposed to live. In Ezekiel, it was reminded when it kind of reformed some things, and he's given them instructions, that it was the job of Levites, you shall teach my people the difference between the holy and profane. You shall cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. It was their job to be a holy people. And so, at this meeting they have together at this river, he reminds them, hey, y'all are holy. Y'all better live this way, or live a certain way. The way you were living, some of the things you were doing before, you don't do that anymore. You've got to set an example for the people of Israel. Uh, I need to grab the remote. I'm going to play a video here for you a little bit. And so this was a huge, this was a huge responsibility. It was a huge responsibility that, I, again, I think we take for granted. There was a lot of stuff that was different under that old covenant system. And because, as Christians, we have liberty today. Okay? That word liberty, we often associate it with the liberals who just you know, want to live like the heathen. But understand that liberty is a liberty from a lot of these ceremonial things of the law is what it's, is what it's referring to. And these things were very painstaking and meticulous. It's kind of like today, even today, you've got different groups where they have the monks and stuff. And they have these holy men and they do all these cleansings and stuff. And a lot of, a lot of that stuff, you know, there might be some similarities to what they did in the Old Testament. But that stuff is not necessary anymore. Okay? I mean, some of you, you know, you might, you, you probably didn't, you might not have washed your feet this morning. You know what? We have liberty. Okay? It's, it's not, as long as that doesn't affect your heart, all right, then, you know, you can still worship God today. Okay? Now, if they smell, your feet smell bad enough, it might affect the person next to you's worship uh, while they're trying to, you know, deal with the stink and stuff like that. But it, at the end of the day, it's a heart matter. It's, it's not a physical thing. But these physical things were very important. So in verse 32, they're already come to Jerusalem. It says, and, they, and then we came to Jerusalem and abode there three days. Now on the fourth day was the silver and the gold and the vessels weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the priest. And with him was Eliezer, the son of Phinehas. And with them was Jehozabad, the son of Jeshua. And Noadiah, the son of Benaiah, the Levites, by number and by weight, everyone, all the weight was written at that time. Also the children of those that had been carried away, which were come out of the captivity, offered burnt offerings unto the God of Israel, twelve bullocks for all Israel, ninety and six rams, seventy and seven lambs, twelve he goats for a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering unto the Lord. And they delivered the king's commissions unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors on this side of the river. And they furthered the people in the house of God. Now, let's just face it, okay? I don't think, I'm not trying to be irreverent here. This is some difficult reading here in, in chapter 8. Uh, as New Testament Christians, what, you know, what do we get from this? Because, again, we're not, we're not under the law. We do not have a Levitical priesthood. Jesus fulfilled all these things for us. In many ways, these things are irrelevant to us. But let's, let's take some time to remember that all of these things they did, God made a big deal about how holy they were. And we understand why, because those things pointed to the sinless, spotless, holy sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so these practices that they did, and we're going to go back to some other passages here in a little bit. It was an impressive thing to behold. When Israel was, was doing these things right, and it, that was not all the time. It was an impressive thing to behold. And 
It, but imagine what it would look like after 70 years of not doing these things. And these things are still holy. They need to be done right. Remember when, remember when God first instituted these things and Nadab and Abihu did not follow the process and fire came out of the altar and consumed them? That's what happens when you don't do it right. Now, I'm just going to show you two proof that God does not care about the things of the temple anymore because what we're, uh, we're, I'm going to show you a video. This was, I believe this was in 2018. We had a, they had a, for Hanukkah, they had an altar dedication. And people were making a big deal about this, like this was fulfillment of prophecy. And some people on our side thought maybe it was the abomination of desolation. Uh, but no, what, what this was, was a photo op and it was a joke. And what they, what they are going to do here, if God was for this type of thing in any way, shape, or form, fire should have come out of that altar and consumed these people. Because what we are going to see here is what it will look like if all of a sudden, you know, these people, they never, they never saw the things of the temple. They never saw the sacrifices. But without a doubt, they did not have any scribes like Ezra prepare them for this offering. And they were definitely out of practice, okay? Understand, they've never done these things before. But if these things really were holy, they should have followed the process in the Scriptures and said, you know what, we need to get some ready scribes. We need to get some people who really know the law and they can show us this process. We need to prepare ourselves. We need to cleanse ourselves. We need to practice some of these things because when we do this offering, it needs to be holy. It shouldn't be a joke. It shouldn't be a train wreck. And so let's watch and see what it looked like when these guys did this, uh, when they did this dedication, and they, and they actually sacrificed a lamb. Right? And let's see how they did it. Because okay? this, is, this is a shameful. This is somewhere, an old, I, I don't know exactly what spot this was. I think it was in the Jewish quarters, old city. Um, I don't recognize the spot from when I was over there. But just kind of look at everybody, just kind of messing around. Nobody really looks like they really know what they're going on. This is the laver where they're uh, supposed to cleanse themselves. This guy's up there basically announcing everything they're doing. They got a bunch of like wood pallets. They kept trying to light the fire and the fire kept going out, which was, which was pretty funny because God was not for this. God was not for what they're doing. Uh, so, and this is, this is interesting too. This is the table of showbread. Okay, they don't even have this stuff lined up right, by the way, either. Okay, the stuff is not laid out like it's supposed to. This is the cheat knockoff version. That is not gold. None of these are the artifacts that are at the Temple Mount Institute. None of them. Okay, because the ones at the Temple Mount Institute are never going to be used for any things of the temple, despite what the Baptists tell you. Not what the Jews tell you. The Jews won't tell you that. They won't tell you those things are going to be used in the temple. The Baptists. Preaching imminency. They come back. Fulfillment of prophecy. They got everything ready for the... No, they don't. Okay? And, they, and they, are, they are far from ready. But this is just embarrassing. Everything that we're seeing on here. So let's keep watching some of the stuff they're doing. Inside there, inside that Walmart tote, is the sacrificial lamb. That's already been taken care of at the butcher. Because, you know, that wouldn't be a good photo op. You know, people don't want to watch a lamb get killed. But you know what? You know why people don't want to watch a lamb get killed? Nobody wants to see an innocent animal slaughtered. But can we wonder why God might have had them slaughter an innocent animal? Because it was going to be an innocent man who was going to die for the sins of the world. 
So we, we get it. But oh, they don't want to show that picture because it might point to Jesus Christ. And I don't know if they were worried as much about accidentally pointing people to Jesus Christ as they were offending PETA. Right, but either way, a lamb was still killed. Okay, they like got a whole back leg looked like that they, they're going to throw in the fire. This is embarrassing. Yeah, fire kept going out, which is pretty funny. God isn't in this at all. And so everybody's just kind of wandering around. They got the little kid priest uh, up there. They're all looking at the lamb. He's got the microphone in his hand. I'm pretty sure they're not supposed to have a microphone. He's got his notes because he doesn't know what he's doing. These guys needed an Ezra. If, if this was of God at all, they need, they, this is what happens when you don't have an Ezra. You have a joke of a shogun. The fire kept going out in the menorah that's in the wrong spot. Okay. Now, now first off, this, this stuff drives me crazy. Because I care about the Word of God. This is the altar that is like supposed to be outside the tabernacle. After the altar, you go inside the tabernacle where the menorah is supposed to be in there. But they got the menorah before the altar. They, they don't have anything right. But they know that most of their audience is stupid and they don't know how any of this stuff is supposed to be. But I love watching that fire go out. There, there's a song. It's a Southern Gospel song and I don't care. It's an awesome song. It's called Put Out the Fire. The, the doctrinal, the doctrine in this song is fantastic, but it's just put out the fire. And it's about how, because the, the Messiah has come. It's about when Jesus came and was baptized. And it's this like, put out the fire. Here comes the glory. Your sacrifice is not as worthy. He's come to die to make us holy. We found the perfect lamb. That's an awesome song. Absolutely. I love the song. But when I was watching this video again and see the fire going on, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of that song, put out the fire. We don't need this anymore. You know what? That I, I, it's good that the temple was destroyed. It needed to be destroyed for the Jews' sake so they would stop looking to that. And you got a bunch of Baptists, you got Greg Locke anxious to see the temple rebuilt for the Jews, which will be just keep farther away from Jesus Christ. This, this stuff makes me mad. Boy, if Ezra would have seen this, uh, we know, well, we'll see in a future weeks how Ezra or Nehemiah would have responded to this. The labor was actually outside by the altar, that's accurate. I don't know why they've got the menorah out there in that spot. That just that irritates me greatly. These things matter. And you got the cameraman. Look at look at the cameraman walking around. Because this is nothing more than a publicity stunt. Fire keeps going out in the altar. They can't they can't keep the fire burning. And let me tell you something. Again, these things were sacred. They were holy. The priests would have known how to get a keep a fire going right. So they're not messing with stuff like this. So these things don't look like a circus. But again, they, they haven't done this stuff in, in 19, over 1,900 years. But the thing is, they're not supposed to. So yeah, there you go, lugging the tote with the, with the lamb in there. Because, you know, we don't want to offend anybody. Killing an innocent lamb. So this is just embarrassing. The one thing they did right, there was one part, I don't know if I have it on here, where the guy like lays on the ground to kiss something. And he's got his linen breeches under there so you can't see his nakedness. So that's, you know, that, that was biblical. The Bible talks about that and how they would wear those linen breeches under this so when they walk up on the altar, you know, their nakedness wouldn't be seen. And so yeah, there's the, there's the lamb right there. A hunk of meat. Here, take a picture. Take a picture of the hunk of meat. This is just 
So the fire's out again. Oh yeah, here he is, laying down. That's the uh, altar of incense right there. It's got everything in a straight line. Yeah, watch, watch this. Cell phone in hand. Let's take a selfie, boys. I tried seeing if I could find this selfie on the internet. Let, let's take a selfie while we're doing this holy offering. Let's, let's take a sel- selfie, priest. What a joke. And let me tell you something, too. These things... Oh yeah, so here he is throwing the lamb on the fire. These things were not supposed to be done on the outside. They were, they were holy because the presence of God was going to be in there. And just... But let me tell you, the presence of God is nowhere near this. There we go. Let's throw the lamb on the fire. Yeah, they are so... And again, they're out of practice. Okay, and what, So what you saw there is what Ezra was trying to avoid. This is why they had this ready scribe come to educate, prepare these people... Because, you know, these guys clearly had never done this stuff before. Okay? And there's a lot more to this video where everybody's just kind of walking around. They're bumping into each other. Everybody's confused. It was just a chaotic mess. And then they would just, you know, they would, they would bump around. And then they would get in position, you know, for pictures. You know, it was more about, hey, let's, let's get the shots that we want. And I imagine if we saw, you know, Mr. Hipster with his prayer shawl hanging out, you know, that was walking around with his camera. If, you know, we saw his videos and they edited you know, some of the stuff, it probably would look pretty impressive. But we're seeing the whole thing there, behind the scenes. This, whoever filmed that understood what they were doing was not right. And it was nothing more than a photo op. And so, uh, what we're going to... So the priest said there was probably many things about that work that had been forgotten. So this chapter ends with them getting back to Jerusalem. And now that basically the cops have shown up, Ezra, they're like the cops. They're the enforcers. They're making sure the priests do things according to the Word of God. Because the Word of God trumps priests. The Word of God is everything. They're about to start laying down the law. And so the next two chapters are going to get pretty good. Some of the stuff that we're going to see. And, And let me tell you something too. You know, there's a debate out there about whether or not how Ezra handled the situation was right or not. Uh, at the end of the day, what we're about to see is Ezra was a scribe who loved the Word of God and, and things got ugly because things had gotten so bad in Israel. And understand, when, we, when you violate God's law for a really long time and you're as a violating... Because it, it's kind of like even today with the subject of divorce. You know, it's just like, you know, do, does a... Does a woman have to stay married to a man? Is she, allowed, is she not allowed to divorce a man who turns out to be a sodomite? Because divorce is a really bad thing. Well, you see, the thing is, if we actually had proper laws for sodomites, divorce isn't going to be a problem at all. She won't have to get divorced because it's till death do you part. And so, so the problem is, when we don't follow some, you know, a bunch of God's laws, then we create these other ugly situations. And so Israel had been violating so many things that when it's time to clean, clean up this mess, there's almost no way to clean up the mess without some pretty horrible things taking place. And so that's just kind of where, where we're at today in our country. 
we have violated so many of God's laws that, you know, that the solution is often a very ugly looking situation. And so, uh, you know, e- you know, either way, I think they were doing the best they could uh, here in a really rough situation. But God had done amazing things in preserving these people. But just understand that things had not getting had not gotten better since the captivity had started in Jerusalem. But the scribes are now showing back up. The law is on their side. And so based uh, and and they are preparing themselves like, okay, you know what? Let's get things right now. Things were a mess, but it's time for us to get things right. And in first Kings, I'm going to, this is the only place I want to, I want to turn to. We'll close out with this, but they are, they, they want to do things right because these things were holy. They were sacred. Ezra was someone who took the word of God very seriously. And there had been, and unfortunately, a lot of their history, it was not that way. A lot of their history, the sacrifices and things probably looked a lot like what we saw on there. I'll bet it never looked as bad as it did there, but it might have. It, it, it might have even, it might have even been worse. I don't know. I mean, we, I guess, you know, we see Hophni and Phineas were doing some pretty wicked things at the, at the tabernacle. So, you know, it was, it, I guess it could have been a lot worse than that. But think about it, how it was in the days of Solomon. And in 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 4, it says, When the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. When she saw this house of God that he had built, his ascent, like when he went up to it, and so obviously they had some kind of uh, practice and some method of how he would even approach the house of God. You know why? Because Solomon during this time was doing great things for God and they made a big deal out of it. Why? Because these things represented God and his holiness. And during Solomon's time, when the queen of Sheba saw that, she was like, wow, it, um, it, it not just amazed her about Solomon. She was amazed at his God. Now, what do you think heathen are going to think about the God of those people? Not very impressive at all. Not not at all. And you know what? That's fine because those people are not serving our God. Those people are not doing a sacrifice to our God. Our God is done with the sacrifices. Our God commanded them to follow Christ without the camp, bearing his reproach. That's what that's what our God did. And so what those guys, people were doing, it was, it wasn't, I don't believe it was the abomination of desolation, but that was an abomination because it was, they were claiming it was, it was the altar of God. They were claiming it was a sacrifice of God, that those were Levitical priests. They were claiming all those things. And so that, that was an abomination, what they did. There's no, there's no doubt about that, but it was also, you say, well, what if it had been a more impressive performance? Well, you know what? If it had been a more impressive performance, that would have actually been dangerous because then it would have been more deceptive. But you know what? I think that was a good, accurate picture of just the spiritual state that they're in. They should be ashamed. They should be embarrassed of that. And you know what? Even if they improve it, they should still be embarrassed. They should still be ashamed. You know why? Because Jesus came and showed us what all those sacrifices were a picture of, and it puts it all to shame. 
I'll bet I know Solomon, who people were amazed at, you know, the things of the temple during his day. If Solomon could, you know, if if he would have seen could have seen Jesus Christ, and if he knew what we knew, he would be ashamed of what they did, because at the end of the day, Jesus Christ is better than all that. He's more holy than all of that. All those things were just a picture of that. So, uh, hopefully. Uh, this gives you a better visual of Ezra chapter 8. He was trying to prepare them so they avoid looking like that. And so, anyway, with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this uh, chapter and the things we can learn from it. We thank you, Lord, for coming and being the better sacrifice, the better priest, uh, better everything. And I pray, Lord, you'll help us to continue spreading that message. I pray you'll uh, stop letting churches get affected with uh, by Judaizers and help them to realize that you are done with the things of the temple. You're never going back to it. And we're thankful for that. In your name we pray. Amen.